Well, good morning once again. It's, uh, it's right for Christians to commemorate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from the dead. Truthfully, we, we actually do that every single week on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Um, the, the Christian Sabbath was changed by the example of Jesus uh, because it was on the first day of the week that he rose from the dead. So every single Sunday we commemorate the Lord's resurrection, but I'm glad that we uh, make a special point of it on Easter, just like I'm glad that we make a special point out of commemorating the, re- um, the incarnation of our Lord during Christmas season. But the resurrection is really, really important, not just as a tradition, but it's important to the truth and to the content of the Christian message itself. As we're going to see, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no gospel, there's no Christianity, we we wouldn't be here today. Christianity would have died out with the disciples Hank Hanegraaff, in his book, Resurrection, wrote this about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is not merely important to the historic Christian faith. Without it, there would be no Christianity. It is the singular doctrine that elevates Christianity above all other world religions. Through the resurrection, Christ demonstrated that He does not stand in a line of peers with Abraham, Buddha, or Confucius. He is utterly unique. He has the power not only to lay down his life, but to take it up again. That's the importance of Christ's resurrection. So we're going to look at a number of passages this morning and think about five things that we all should know about Christ's resurrection. So five things you should know about Christ's resurrection. And the first one is that it really happened. It's a fact, a historical fact. It's not some fable, myth, or legend intended merely to teach some moral lesson through some kind of matrix of exaggerations, hallucinations, or outright lies. No, the Bible is really clear that the same Jesus who had been publicly executed by crucifixion on that first Good Friday rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And a great representative passage to see this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So go there or turn there or whatever the case may be for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is 
more important than anything else. There's a lot of really important things that Christianity is all about, but the gospel is of first importance. And here it is, that Christ died for our sins, that's Good Friday, in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So notice these uh, three lines of evidence that the Apostle Paul sets before us here. First of all, there's the, the evidence of the scriptures. Twice he says in verse 3 and in verse 4 that what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection were in accordance with the scriptures. For example, Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament that we looked at on Friday night during our Good Friday service, which so vividly portrayed the, the death of Jesus and explained its meanings. For example, all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And then, in the same chapter of Scripture, it says that this, this suffering servant of Jehovah who would die as a sacrifice for the sins of God's people would rise again because he would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And we could multiply examples like Isaiah chapter 53. So there's the testimony of scriptures. There's the, the testimony of eyewitnesses. And you, you'll notice how um, Paul progresses from mentioning the eyewitness testimony of Peter, Cephas, and the 12, the 12 apostles. And then he also mentions more than 500 people who had seen Jesus alive. And then he mentions himself. He didn't see Jesus at the same time that the other apostles did, but he saw Jesus when Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, and the resurrected Jesus appeared before him. So when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're not just taking one person's word for it. There's everything that the Old Testament says, and then there are the many, many eyewitnesses who saw him alive. And then Paul mentions the evidence of changed lives. He mentions Peter, in verse 3, Cephas. Remember that Peter had denied the Lord three times because he was petrified with fear. Jesus had been arrested. Peter wanted to have nothing to do with Jesus. And in just a few short weeks, this fearful Peter was transformed so that he stood before a multinational crowd numbering in the thousands, preaching the resurrection of Jesus. What happened to Peter? 
he saw the resurrected Jesus. He was an eyewitness of Christ's resurrection. Think about James, who's mentioned there in verse 7. This is probably James, the brother of the Lord, the earthly brother of Jesus. Well, James, at one point in Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry, with with the rest of Jesus' siblings, they, they wanted to apprehend him because they were convinced that Jesus had lost his mind. That's this James. And then, in a relatively short period of time, this James becomes numbered with the disciples and he becomes the leader in the church in Jerusalem, putting his life at risk. What happened? James had seen the risen Lord. And then what happened to the Apostle Paul? He went from being the the most evil, the most determined antagonist of Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom, persecutor of the church, to being a foundation stone in the church itself. What happened to Saul of Tarsus? He was a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's good to remember when we think about eyewitness testimony that people will sometimes die for a fraud which they mistakenly believe is true. But people will not willingly die for something that they know is false. The early Christians risked their lives and some of them gave their lives for a cause which they knew was true because they had seen it with their own eyes. Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Well, what if it's not true? In spite of all of that, well, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Look over in verses 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's useless, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And that's true. The reason why most of us are here today, the reason why I'm here today, I promise you that, is because we are persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. It really happened. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. What's the use of the whole thing? But maybe you think, well, that's all fine and dandy, but it's impossible at the end of the day for a dead man to come back to life. Eyewitnesses and fulfilled prophecies notwithstanding, it's It's physically impossible. But you see, nothing is impossible for the God of the Bible. He's the God of creation. 
He spoke all things into existence by his mere word. He's the God of miracles. The Bible is filled with miracles demonstrating God's sovereignty over nature itself. Among those miracles, he caused a virgin to conceive and bear a son in whom God became flesh and dwelt among us. And that God, the God of creation, the God of miracles, the God who's sovereign over all of creation, that God has the wherewithal to raise Jesus from the dead. It's not impossible. In fact, if you're an atheist, you have more faith than I do. Atheism asks you to believe that nothing created everything for no purpose. That life comes from non-life. That all the mass, energy, order, information, beauty, meaning, truth, justice, morality, love, good, evil, and all other aspects of our universe inexplicably exploded from the point of singularity of the Big Bang, whose existence and godlike creative powers are unexplained, sort of like a magician's secrets. You can have your faith. That's your faith. As for me, I'm content to believe that the God of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The God of John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm content to believe that that God did what he said he was going to do and raise Jesus from the dead. Amen. He is risen. Jesus is risen from the dead. It really happened. All right. Secondly, here's another thing that you should know about Christ's resurrection. It proves that Jesus is the Son of God. You're in 1 Corinthians. If you look back in the next book before it, Romans and chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes here in verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's a recurring theme. Jesus didn't spring onto the scene of history out of nowhere but he came in fulfillment of the promise of the Old Testament scriptures, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So Jesus was a real man, a real human being with real ancestors, including Abraham, by the way, and including David, the great king in Israel, the man who 
had a heart after God's own heart. He was descended from David according to the flesh, according to his human nature. But then verse 4, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the resurrection according to Paul, said something about Jesus. What it said is that not only is Jesus the son of David, but Jesus is also the son of God. He has two natures. He has a human nature, like us, minus our fallenness, our sinful nature, but in terms of our humanity, Jesus was just like us. But in addition to that, Jesus also has a divine nature. That's why Christians rightly call him the God-man. He is God and human in one person. And because of that, Jesus is uniquely qualified to be the savior of the world because in one person he represents humanity and deity. In his, in his humanity, Jesus was able to die like we all die. And in his death, he was able to suffer for human sin. But as God... His death has infinite value so that he died for the whole world, the Bible tells us. All kinds of people, all nations, every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue. Infinite value. And the righteousness which believers receive as a gift of faith is the very righteousness of God and power. Notice in verse 4 again, he was declared to be the Son of God in power. Means that when Jesus had claimed that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he wasn't exaggerating. He has the power to save his people from their sins. He has the power to command his people as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has the power to be worshipped like Thomas did when he bowed before Jesus as we read and said, My Lord and my God. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Thirdly, the third thing that you should know about Christ's resurrection is that it's God's final verdict on our legal standing before him. We're in Romans. Flip over to Romans chapter 4. Do you know what God says about you and God said about me before we were in Christ? 
before we believed in Christ and were saved by Christ, our legal standing before God was that we were guilty. We stood condemned by God's holy law. In fact, we were under the wrath of God, which Jesus himself taught. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ solved that for every believer. Note in Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. Here Paul wrote, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. And here we're interrupting Paul's train of thought. He's talking about Abraham. And you remember the story in Genesis chapter 15 in verse 6 when we're told that uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. New Testament makes a big deal out of that transaction. In other words, it wasn't that God accepted Abraham because Abraham was a good person. Turns out, there's no such thing. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Abraham was not righteous in and of itself. God accepted Abraham through faith. And Paul says that when that happened to Abraham, that was because Abraham is the father of all of the believing, all of the faithful. It was not just for Abraham's sake, but it was for us as well. So in verse 24, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Well, so what? Are we just supposed to believe in the resurrection because it's an incredible event? It's a powerful thing? No, it's because of what the resurrection is a part of in terms of God's plan of salvation, what God did to redeem his people. And Paul relates that in verse 25. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 15. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The apostle Peter wrote, 1 Peter 2, 24. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And that word justification is a very important word. It refers to our legal standing before God. And what it means is that whoever has faith in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection, God counts as righteous. Not because we actually are righteous, because we know that we're not. Our consciences convict us of the fact 
that we're sinners and not righteous, but God counts us as righteous because of what Jesus did in our place and dying for our sins and then being raised again from the dead. And it implies that when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. That the testimony from heaven was also, it is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, there was no more debt to pay. There was no more guilt, no more penalty that my sins or your sins needed in order to be atoned for. Jesus did it all. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, our sins, but he was raised for our justification. John MacArthur said this, Without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. For it has no validation, it has no vindication, it has no affirmation. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was affirming and validating and vindicating the fact that he had indeed borne our sins in his own body on the cross and had satisfied the justice of God with his sin-bearing without the resurrection the cross is meaningless, just another death. So it's God's final verdict on our legal standing before him. Then, fourthly, it's the same divine power that works in believers. The power by which Jesus was raised from the dead is the same divine power that works in believers. So we've been in Romans here, look forward, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start reading in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. First, Paul describes our power. What is it that we bring to the salvation table? What is it that we offer to this transaction? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. How does that make your self-esteem feel? But that's a reality check. This is someone speaking the truth to us in love. This is a real accurate assessment of our own power to save ourselves. We're powerless. We're helpless. We're bankrupt. 
in terms of saving ourselves, which is why Paul begins the next sentence with that very important word, but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, and God's Love is demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were helpless, while we were sinful, as described in verses 1 through 3, God saved us and demonstrated his great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, and this is what God did by his grace, He made us alive together with Christ. Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God. Well, God made us alive together with him. And by the way, that's what the Bible means when it says, by grace you have been saved. And not only that, but God has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is really important because Christianity calls us to trust in Christ not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord. We come to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But we also follow Christ as the Lord of our lives. But this isn't something we do by our own power. It's by God's grace. By grace you have been saved. Do you feel yourself powerless to repent? God gives grace. Do you need help overcoming your sin? A filthy mouth, a rebellious spirit, an angry heart, sexual immorality of all kinds, stealing, lying, greed, a complaining spirit. God gives grace. How did the Apostle Paul go from being a hater of Christ and a persecutor of the church? to a servant of Christ and a foundation stone in the church. Hear his own words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the same divine power that works in believers. Jesus has been raised from the dead by the power of God. We've been raised to newness of life by that same power. And then finally, number five, it guarantees our own resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees our own resurrection. Let's flip back to 1 Corinthians again. This time, well, we were in chapter 15. Let's go there again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote here, verses 20 through 22. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's the first Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus, the second Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And then Paul goes on to describe the nature of our resurrection bodies and the timing of our bodily resurrection. But it's tied firmly to the resurrection of Jesus himself. In other words, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we as believers will also be raised from the dead. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's the future that Christians have to look forward to. Jesus really has defeated death. And it's not only the penalty of our sin by which we're justly condemned by God, but it's the ongoing mastery of sin over us and ultimately it's even the presence of sin. Sin will be taken out of our experience. We'll be glorified like Jesus is glorified without the curse of sin, without death reigning in our members, without sin in ourselves, without sin in the universe, without sin in other believers. Johnny Erickson Tata became a quadriplegic because of a terrible diving accident when she was 17 years old. And according to her testimony, God used that terrible accident. She dove out of a boat into a lake and turned out to be shallower than she thought. She smacked her head. According to her testimony, God used that terrible incident to save her. And since then, she's been used by God as a prolific author and speaker and disabled people's advocate, spreading the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for 56 years. She's 73 now. And she wrote this concerning her resurrection and our resurrection as believers. I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me or someone who 
is cerebral palsied, brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing fact that Jesus Christ is risen. We thank you for everything that he has done for our salvation. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us as believers to live in light of these truths, in light of the gospel itself. And Lord, we pray that Today, today, sinners who maybe walked in the door dead in their trespasses and sins, blind to the things of God, helpless to save themselves, may it be today that today in their hearts they would hear the cry of Jesus, come forth. We pray, Lord, that you would Make many alive, even in our midst today. Be glorified, Lord, in our response to your word. For we pray in Jesus' worthy name, amen.